and welcome to the Hitman's Last Great Year, a Smack Attic podcast project. We are talking about Bret Hart's final year in the World Wrestling Federation, which is roughly 1997. And I am your host, Matt Vaughn. And each week on the podcast, I have a guest co-host with me and somebody who is with me on the last project we did, the SmackDown 6. He's coming back, folks, by popular demand. Chris Dimitrenko is here. Chris, how you doing, man? Well, I was doing okay. But I didn't know that the theme of the podcast until literally right now was that this is Bret Hart's last year. You didn't tell me this information. His last great year. So this is because he wrestled WCW, last right? Great but year. but okay. if, you're, if you look at WCW career, it wasn't great. So no, we, get Bret Hart, we get to talk about a great year in, in, in WWF at the time. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a nice way to thread, thread it all through. And so that's what we're, that's what we're experiencing week by week here. Uh, and that's why we're getting into it here. Uh, now, yeah, you a little bit of celebration, but a little bit of sadness, you yes. know, when you when you frame it like that. Yeah, I think it's fair to feel a little bit of melancholy. It's mm-hmm. the human experience. This is what we're all what we're getting into right now. Nostalgia and a little bit of the pain that you feel from it. And, you know, I recently just today I was I got a new phone. I had to shut down and reset the old phone. I'm looking at the old phone and I'm thinking about the good moments we had together and. <laughs> feeling silly about feeling nostalgic for an object that I just had in my pocket for four years, but it's like, yeah, no, that's the phone I got when I I was like, ah, I'm gonna have a, a kid. I need to get a new iPhone, and so I did. And so I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it turning off and resetting, and I'm going, ah, it's all over. It's this nostalgia, this bittersweetness. But then I have this awesome, this awesome great new phone. I shouldn't feel that way, but that's exactly what this. It's a very similar thing. Well, an incrementally better new phone. Yes, I mean four. I mean four years. Thankfully, the increments are, are adding up to something quite quite great for me, where it mm-hmm. feels like this this, this great uh, Star Trek esque kind of warp speed forward for me. But that's exciting, and you know, <laughs> that's what it's, it's not like that week to week on Raw. Uh, not not what we're talking about here. Now, Chris, you we talked a little bit before we got on the air here. You uh, you were watching this time. You have you have some uh, experience dillying and dallying in the ninety six ninety seven WF territory. Is that right? That's right. So I would have been in high school at the time, mm-hmm. and I was watching WWF, um, maybe not every week. So I'm not entirely sure that I saw this particular episode at the, at the time. It certainly came across as very new to me, but I was I was certainly watching the pay-per-views. Um, I don't know if I was still uh, renting them. I don't think I was still renting them. But I remember that was that was that was a thing for quite a while. Even like I think going into the '90s was renting uh, pay-per-views from from the the video store. Um, what was your video the, store's name? Was it just Blockbuster? Or did you have like a local one? Well, no, 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 no. Blockbuster was for the cities. I'm from a town of, of four thousand people. Yeah. Uh, it was it was called Tops Video, and they also sold ice cream. I love it. I love it. I. <laughs> My my buddy my buddy Brian who I had on the on the SmackDown Six podcast we often talk about I don't remember the name of there's a video store that he went to all the time that's where he rented his Coliseum videos his WWF releases and he and just seeing some of the uh, images they use for the pay per views on WWE Network are often the, the same and so it has it hits this real nostalgic thing inside of us I remember there's a couple different video stores I can't remember the names of them but one of them we used to get. We used to rent VHSs from Sobeys, our local grocery store. Had a little like, you went through the cash, and after you got all your stuff, there was just this little kind of corner store sized 
area and you could rent uh, VHSs there. I have a very clear memory of it. And every time I go back to that specific Sobeys near my parents' house, which isn't common, but when I do, I have this weird thing of like, there's, there was a video rental store right there. We, we rented VHSs. So I am very, I'm so in the tank for anybody talking about their experience with video rental stores. Maybe that's a podcast all on my own. It's just talking about the rental stores they went through growing up. Cause I, especially knowing you're from like a smaller town, it has a name and it sells ice cream. It's like, Yes, that is a real like gem of a place that we need to remember because they also don't really exist. I mean, they're kind of glorified corner stores anyway, but I just love hearing about that. Oh, well, and I remember you had to kind of like not watch for a few weeks after the pay-per-view if you didn't want it to be spoiled. Right. Right. So because <laughs> yeah. I would never actually order the pay-per-views. They were they were even expensive back then, if I remember correctly. Sure. Yeah. So I, but- I would have to wait to watch them. Or I would sometimes, this is almost shameful, sometimes I would watch them scrambled. Yeah, well, I think I that's real. Watch, that's real. I would like, I'd have the, the pay-per-view channel on my TV and I'd just kind of listen along. And every so often, like the scrambling would be such that you can kind of make out what's going on. So I would sort of do that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, you'd have to wait for wait for a while and hopefully not know who won the Royal Rumble, which was a little <laughs> bit easier to do uh, before the era of, social media and i guess we only just barely had the internet back then right right yeah it would be yeah now it's kind of impossible if you have any wrestling interest whatsoever if you go to your trending topics on twitter it's gonna pop up and say you know brock lesnar or drew mcintyre and you're like man come on like yeah i don't want to see that or edge yeah. i guess was the reason i want to um yeah also let me let me just make sure that i have our, our dates right here uh but yeah happy new year everybody listen to this podcast we're coming out here first week of 2023 so uh yeah welcome to 2023 it sounds impossibly futuristic i think it's literally the year that the uh tim burton the planet of the apes movie is set in and here we are we're living in that future uh so yes happy happy new year to you chris as we go into these raws (laughs) yes happy new year to you too matt i'm uh i really had a a wonderful or terrible christmas i don't I, i don't know because it's uh Boomer bust. Boomer bust. It was either great or it was either terrible. One way or the other. Uh, the other question. Okay, Chris, here's a question I have for you. Did you ever watch any WCW at the time, or were you only WWF guy? I was definitely a WWF guy. Yeah. And uh, something about like I definitely I followed WCW, but like definitely Team WWF in terms of the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. And I don't know. There was just something about um, WCW. And and actually, like, there's something about AEW t- today that feels kind of WCW-ish. Sure. Uh, I, I, know it, I know it's different, but um, and it's, it's AEW is more of a, a purist thing. But but yeah, I, I wasn't really into the WCW though. Yeah, interesting. I mean, that's something. It's like. <laughs> It's just funny talking about this time because it's like it's I mean, ebbs and flows. I think it's maybe a phrase you said earlier, but it's like, you know, it's, you know, WCW was doing well and then WWF started doing kind of OK and they had an intersection and then they just took off. WWF did it. Mm-hmm. WCW just kind of fell off a cliff. And uh, yeah, we're talking this week's episode. We're talking. This is the exciting part of this is we're kind of talking about as things are starting to ramp up for WWF towards their their great success. We're talking about the December 30th, 1996 episode of Monday Night Raw. This is this episode in particular. This is the this is a the live show. This is the first hour of a three hour taping night. So this is something that's interesting. Is this is back when Raw was taped largely, and so they would start off. They would do a, do a live version for an hour, 
and they would tape a couple more hours and then they would add some stuff in and that was your raw. So uh, that's what we're getting at, uh, which, which is interesting. Uh, so, so we have a live experience here, uh, but uh, the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about tape shows. The weird dynamic. Also weird that it's just an hour considering raw is three times that length. Now uh, it's a very different experience. Well, if I'd have to choose one over the other, I'd choose the one hour, frankly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's these are very bite-sized. And, like, the thing that the thing I'm running into, Chris, and I don't want to spoil later on here, the problem is when we talk about rating these shows, I'm like, I don't know, like, they're quick. I'm having relatively a good time. Even though some of the matches aren't great, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, at the end, I'm kind of like, I haven't really had one that's not, like, at least it's like a 6 out of 10. So it's like, I don't know. It's not, it's not terrible, like, largely. Well, it's, it's nice that it doesn't take up your entire effing evening. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty great. Um, like I, I do watch Raw and SmackDown. That's five hours of my week right That's there. A lot. That's a lot. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I feel very blessed to be a casual viewer of certain things because it's like it's great. If AEW has this great match that people are talking about, it's like cool. I'm gonna dip into it and I'll watch it later on. And it's great. And mm-hmm. it's like cool. Hey man, want a battle roll? I'll watch that sure. Like whatever, whatever it is. Uh, and so it's just very, very free to feel that way. I mean, early Late 2019, early 2020, I was very much in a position of like, oh, I have to watch every NXT, every AEW. And it was great until it wasn't where I was just like, oh, this is just a lot. I just I'm feeling this. Uh, And it's just it's just weighing on me more than I want it to. And so it's good. I mean, chore sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the show. So let's talk about let's let's set things up here a little bit here. Um, on last week's episode of Monday Night Raw, Triple H beat Mark Marrow to finish up their feud over the Intercontinental title, and Bret Hart dispatched quote-unquote Razor Ramon with ease in the main event. So that's our first taste of fake Razor Ramon at the time. We'll talk more about that in the next couple weeks just to, to go ahead here. Uh, yeah, usually on the show we have a bonus match to talk about. We don't, we don't have a bonus match because Bret Hart wrestles on the show, maybe in a surprising way. Uh, and let's also talk about what the good folks in uh, Albany, in the Knickerbocker Arena, uh, would have seen before the show tonight. Oh, and sorry, I should also say that we're, I'm looking at the show's attendance. This show did about 6,800 in a 15,000-seat arena. So not terrible, but not great either. It's about a little less – it's like a, a third full kind of thing. But, I mean, sorry, I'm also speaking – like, there's one – they did a 20,000-seat arena. They had, like, 3,000 people in it recently when they were shooting doing shows in Tampa uh, in 1996. So – uh, 6,000 people was like decent for them at the time. So it's not great. It'll take time for their attendance to catch up with the rest of the show. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, that's low. Right? <laughs> it's surprising. So this is, yeah. Considering, considering the star power on this show. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> you have people come out for interviews and you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are huge, huge stars. These are amazing. Like these guys, could, like any combination of these guys are made of any pay-per-views for like years. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people who are not main eventing pay-per-views are guys in the dark matches. Uh, so some of the dark matches we had before the show here. Um, uh, Mexican lucha star Hector Garza defeated Nick Barbary. I believe Hector Garza is Angel Garza's uncle. So if you watch current WWE, you'd, you may know Hector Gar- uh, Angel Garza. So that's his dad. Ah, uh, the kiss cam. That's it. Uh, Mini Vader defeated Mascarita Sagrada Jr. This is one of the first examples we have of a minis match. With it. We have two people who are uh, little people as the uh, common parlance is now in 2023. Um, and this is part of the whole uh, AAA WWF thing where tr- they ha- they are doing Royal Rumble 
in San Antonio, Texas. Their roster is not that big, so they have they're saying they, they think it's probably the best idea for the show to bring in a bunch of Mexican wrestlers so they can have a little bit of star power from that. And they're trying to kind of layer that in over the weeks ahead so you have any idea who these guys are. Uh, all these are dark matches. So I don't think it makes any difference. Uh, also dark match, Jerry Lawler defeated a guy named Tony DeVito. So Jerry Lawler um, all over the show. I think he's also this is the, the one where he's also the main event. Uh, and there's two more matches here that are not really don't seem like dark matches. This is something that we do all the time. Uh, the Undertaker defeated Psycho Sid by disqualification. So we got Psycho Sid out there defending his world championship against the Undertaker. He got DQ'd. And lastly, Shawn Michaels defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin in a match. Although by the records I saw, it was only two minutes long, which seems hard to believe. But maybe they like brawled a little bit. They kicked him. They don't always have like t- like time stamps for these dark matches, but this one did. I find that, I find that curious. Like two minutes is maybe the weirdest possible length you could have for this kind of match. I understand like five, but two is that would be cool to see. I know. Uh, you see it. We'll see it later on at King of the Ring '97, which is good. We'll be covering that later on in the podcast. And so let's talk about Monday Night Raw from December 30th, 1996. We begin with a video package about Bret Hart's feud with Shawn Michaels. Uh, you know, this big question of like, hey, did Shawn Michaels actually cost Bret Hart the title at its time, the most recent pay-per-view? Uh, and uh, we, we get some talking heads with Bret and Shawn saying they don't like each other. And they're going to be face-to-face tonight. And Shawn Michaels has these little circular black sunglasses. I mean, I look at him, I think, is he trying to be like John Lennon or, or like uh, Liam Gallagher for Oasis? Like, it's a real look. It feels very dated, Chris. I don't know what you thought when you saw this, but it's like it stuck out to me as like, oh, that's yeah. I don't know if that gets out of 1996 as a look you can have. I liked it. Uh, I like Shawn Michaels looks from from this era. I mean, it it sort of projects this, you know, kind of cocky arrogance that it works for him and it works for me. There you go. It does work for him. It's absolutely uh, on point for his character, for sure. Uh, and so we go into the raw intro video, which I don't think we've actually had a chance to talk about uh, on the show just yet. Uh, I think that this is they're just doing a bunch of cold opens on raw. Uh, and uh, yes, we get the raw intro video, which is like the music's very 1986, like do 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 stuff like that. Uh, it's like a lot of black and white footage. It's cut really quickly. There's some red accents around it. And first we get snippets of just wrestlers. Then we have these quick moments. So we see like British Bulldog using a chair. Uh, Vader landing on Yokozuna, which is interesting because Yokozuna is already gone from the company. Uh, Bret Hart does a suicide dive. We see Shawn Michaels hitting a splash from a ladder, which I think is from WrestleMania 10, which is two and a half years ago at the point we're talking about. And we also see Shawn Michaels nearly super kicking Bret Hart outside the ring at WrestleMania 12. So it's also, uh, yeah, it's a lot of stuff that's not from Raw. And I guess they, they I guess they just don't care about that. They're like, here's some WWF action. Uh, but uh, yeah, it looks it makes Raw look a lot more chaotic and exciting than Raw's usually are. It's like chairs, super kids. Oh my gosh! It's like, well, I mean, the main event is Goldust versus Jerry Lawler, guys. Like that's not we're kind of yeah. over promising here <laughs> to an extent. Uh, and so Vince McMahon wishes us a happy New Year because it's almost 1997, but it isn't yet at this point in the show. And Jerry Lawler is also here. We start off. We have uh, Farouk in the ring. He's with the Nation of Domination. Uh, which is, yeah, it's, you know, they're uh, the whole um, a Nation of Islam kind of uh, gimmick that they're doing here. And uh, he's teaming up with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Farouk is, for a tag team match just because they're bad guys. That's pretty much it. I don't think um, – I would say that Steve Austin really, is, at least in terms of looks is kind of and personality and character, he's kind of the exact opposite of somebody who would team with Nation of Domination. He's a, a bald white guy from Texas. He's like a skinhead. From, that seems like a complete mismatch there. Um, they don't seem to care. They're just like, you know, we, we just hate people. So that's good. Politically. Yeah. Yeah. I guess politically, 
nation of Islam might not have been too popular in like the red states. I don't know. <laughs> right? That's what I'm thinking. And so we go into this tag team match. Before we can find out, uh, we, we see Jesse James come out. This is uh, Road Dog. Back when he was uh, kind of coasting off of his his connection with Jeff Jarrett, and he would sing, he's singing the song "Alone with My Baby Tonight," and every single week comes down to the ring, he sings his song, uh, and uh, as he's singing his song on his way down to the ring, Steve Austin attacks him, and so it's like, okay, we don't even know who his partner is. Then of course, Savio Vega runs out to save him, so it's like, okay, so he's his partner. That's good. And uh, so that for a second here, I'm a bit yeah. confused. I thought that was Jeff Jarrett's song. Yeah, so this was okay. So I think Jeff Jarrett had that song, and they had a whole feud about like it was revealed that Jeff Jarrett was lip syncing, and the actual person who was doing it was his roadie. Oh, right. Yeah, you're remembering it now. And so his roadie was Jesse James, which leads to Road Dog Jesse James, which leads to his his whole career. And so Jeff, but Jeff Jarrett's gone. He left WWF uh, to go to WCW. He comes back a little bit later on. I think he actually comes back in the run of this podcast, too. Um, but at this point, we just we have a guy who was attached to Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett's gone, so he just kind of exists, uh, and he's just kind of he floating through space. Takes his, takes his shtick. He's still Double J. Yep. Um, takes his costume. I was actually a bit confused because I heard the song and I saw him, and I was like, "Oh, there's Jeff Jarrett." And it's like, well, "Wait a minute, no, it's not." Um, but kudos to him. I think he might have been singing. Yeah, like that seemed real to me. Yeah, for sure it was. He's doing it every week. He's out there actually legitimately on his way to the ring, actually singing and doing and, and sounding good, having a pretty good voice. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah. It was impressive. It's impressive. I think it like it's almost too bad that he he did all his like shtick with like singing with, with his like uh you know, his intros he used to do with 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 uh Billy Gunn. And it's like we well, could be singing well, that stuff instead of just saying it. I mean, it was very over I and mean, we were very excited to hear you say it, but he had he had that voice the whole time, his golden throated man that we missed out on. And uh, so Savio Vega, he's in the ring. He's kicking Farouk. And we see that Bret Hart is in the back. And he's watching this match on a monitor. He's in his street clothes. He has just like a regular kind of like button-up shirt on. And he's watching the match. Essentially just to establish, hey, just so you know, Bret Hart is watching this match. He is here. Okay, great. Uh, and we see uh, Savio Vega gets some more kicks. And then he tags in Jesse James. And then Jesse James, uh, he, he, he runs at Farouk. And he hits him over the top rope to the floor. Or oh, he tries to hit him over the top rope to the floor. But Farouk ducks. And J.J. goes over the top rope. And with everybody distracted, Stone Cold Steve Austin comes around and he chop blocks Jesse James in the back of the leg, which he's used in recent weeks to devastating effect. He did it to Bret Hart and to Bulldog. And uh, it's treated as this very, very painful uh, move. Essentially, it takes you out by the D and you're just like done pretty much. They treat it like it's football, which is kind of funny. Uh, And so Austin is quite proud of himself. But then Bret Hart runs down. He was watching after all. And he stands outside the ring. He yells at Austin. Savio Vega comes to check on Jesse James here. And Vince on commentary is like, oh, I, th- I think Brett wants to insert himself into this match because uh, Jesse James is out of commission. And uh, we take a commercial break. We come back. Bret Hart is on the apron. He's wearing only jeans. And uh, this is officially a Bret Hart match now. But my question is, like, is this – Chris, do they do this anymore? Will they, will they ever do a time where, like, a guy runs out mid-match is like, I'll take a guy's place? Like, especially in a tag match, you kind of just don't do that. Sure you do. No, do you I, now? I feel like it's happened recently. I can't think of the example offhand, but no, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable uh, within the WWE universe that um, sure, why not? 
take his point. <laughs> that is kind of the, that's uh, kind of the vibe I get. The sure happened early enough in the in the encounter that that I think you can swap someone in. Um, okay, I'm not used to seeing Bret Hart wrestling without his like kind of pink tank top shirt thing. Yeah, and the guy is 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 really ripped a lot more than I remember. Like he's in extremely good shape. Oh yeah, he's it's not really showed off as well with his singlet. Sometimes he'll drop the straps on the singlet at certain times in certain matches, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a chance for you to see Bret Hart more in his kind of the glory of his torso, I would say. Um, like I don't know if if like I mean I, I sort of assume that everybody's on steroids in in that, that era and probably the next era, the era after that, and maybe today's era. Right. Um, all of the, <laughs> probably all right. of the eras. Yeah. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, certainly that was like, it was like, wow, I, I didn't remember seeing Bret Hart in such great shape. Yeah. And I liked what you said also about, uh, it was early on in the match. Like, I think, I think it's, I think it's a good point to be like, look, you can't come 10 minutes into a match and do a substitution. That's not really fair. Yes. That would make sense. I think it, this is a funny instance of the sliding scale of referee power. Where we've seen times where referees do things and it's like, okay, that's just, they don't really do much. And then you have times where the referee, you know, a wrestler takes his title belt and goes to leave. And the referee tells the announcer, it's like, if he doesn't come back here, I'll count him out and he will lose his title. And you're like, why do you, how are you allowed to do that, man? Like, when is that, like, is it just when there's not really an on-air general manager or commissioner figure here? I mean, there's there's one at this time, it's Gorilla Monsoon, but um, he doesn't really. Well, why why is the scenario, in the scenario you just presented, why is the referee Donald J. Trump? It was a little <laughs> they kind of the vibe though. It's like it's very kind of demanding, kind of like like let me lay down the law kind of things. Like, look, let me tell you. Not my <laughs> not my best Trump, I gotta say. Um, but uh yeah, no, that's that was <laughs> referee Mike Kyoto by way of uh the forty fifth president of the United States. Uh so yeah, we got Bret Hart in this match now. He's just in there, whether you like it or not. Uh and uh we see Savio Vegas in the ring, and uh he's in a hole by with Farouk. Uh, and uh, he's trying to get out of it. And as soon as he does, Steve Austin comes into the ring. He attacks Savio Vega, drags him back to the center of the ring. Uh, and um, the referee does nothing. Speaking of the, the sliding scale, he just like, he lets Austin do it. And then Austin tags in and he grabs a headlock on Savio to keep him stuck in the middle of the ring. It's like, it's weird. And especially considering, you know, I think we see more and more of the referees doing some stuff here, which is like, why are you doing that? In this case, he's just not doing anything. Um, now, Savio Vega gets out. He trades some punches with Austin, but uh, Farouk comes back in. He beats on him some more. And then he saw Farouk is like doing this thing where he's like standing over Savio and he like jumps down on him, like he's kind of like sitting on him. But Savio Vega stands up. And we have Farouk, who's in this precarious electric chair position. And he just does this great heelish, like he's like begging and praying and pleading, like, don't try me. Oh no, I'm so high up. He does this like really exaggerated stuff, which I was grateful to see. And he falls backwards and Savio tags in Brett. And Brett comes in, he fights off Farouk and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, he gets a Russian leg sweep on Farouk and a second rope elbow. And he grabs a sharpshooter on Farouk. And as he tries to turn him over, Crush, from the Nation of Domination, he comes into the ring to hit Brett. And everyone else comes in to attack Brett and Savio. It's his big schmozzy DQ finish. Uh, Chris, did you remember Crush being a member of the Nation of Domination? I mean, I, Crush has had many different iterations, even in his brief time in WWF at this point. Yes, he has. I mean, I certainly remember him going back to, I guess, Demolition. I don't know if that was his very first, but I think it was his first, right? right? I think it was, right? Axe, Smash, and, and Crush. Uh, and they, um, 
laudable for WWF. They kept his name throughout these these different iterations. So this is this is post jail for um, cocaine and unregistered firearms, or maybe it's maybe it's steroids and firearms. Either way, I understand that that this is like they've sort of rebranded him as like extra badass because he was legitimately in jail. And so now we're also going to give him a head tattoo. Yeah, he's got that little like, uh, hey, that's, he's got all sorts of I, I don't think it's an actual tattoo because I think we see him later on as very much not having those kind of tattoos. But yeah, he's yeah, like they, they, they took a river. It was a fake tattoo. And you know what? I. I, I really hope that everybody who has head tattoos, including and maybe especially Post Malone, that we find out in the end that it's a fake tattoo. It would be nice. It would be nice if they just all washed off. I agree. That would feel really good. Uh, and so <laughs> with the uh, with after this DQ here, um, more questionable decision making uh, with the referees trying to break up this DQ. Uh, Steve Austin is just choking Bret Hart in the middle of the ring, and officials just kind of like watch. They're not really trying to do anything. Like I. I mean, I would think if anybody's choking somebody, you stop it. Even if it's in wrestling, it's like, well, choking isn't legal. Choking is you can kill a guy with it. So we don't mm-hmm. want to do that. And then Ahmed Johnson runs down to the ring. And uh, Chris, I was wearing the exact same outfit that Ahmed Johnson was wearing here today. So I had the full thing on there. <laughs> the, the, striped, the, the striped pants. Yeah. The striped like yeah. yoga pants, essentially, with a blue windbreaker and a, and a two by four. It's a great look. Ahmed Johnson is coming down to the ring, breaking things up, and he's he's wearing the exact stuff he wore to the arena, no question, because he's just got these like, <laughs> these like painted on yoga pant tights, and uh, you know he's he's no fan of Farouk. He's gonna face him at the Royal Rumble here, and he leads the crowd in a "You're Going Down" chant, which he does every single week. Um, I don't think it's ever happened organically. I think our, I, the idea being, of course, that uh, hopefully fans will see Farouk and see. Uh, Ahmed Johnson, and they will go. They will do the whole "you're going down" thing. But as it stands, they haven't done. It. They always need uh, him to actually prompt them. So he I like the two by four as a weapon, and it, it occurred to me that it's not really a weapon you see too often today. I don't. I don't know if anybody really uses one. Uh, certainly not in, in WWE. But it's it's pretty simple. Um, you know, it hurts. That maybe you'd find one under the ring yeah. a little bit more than like why is there a kendo stick under there uh yeah the two by four is great yeah i agree it's true yeah they need to come up with some sort of kayfabe reason why kendo sticks are there like does that help like does it help them like they t- they test the post by whacking them a few times or are they just like using them to like wind things like they need to come up with a reason to justify the they say, at least with a sledgehammer you could almost imagine a sledgehammer might have a purpose in setting up a ring yeah like ha- yeah, hammering sledgehammer Sure, they might have chairs. some extra chairs and tables. La- they ladders, maybe. Throw them under the ring. Yeah. Just like you throw shit under your bed, you know? <laughs> They're like, oh, no, the show's about to start. Mom's coming. Let's throw it in. It's like, yeah, I've got, I've got, under my bed, I've got like a sledgehammer, like a two-by-four, <laughs> a kendo stick, you know. That's just, just good self-defense to have for a guy, you know, living in an apartment, though. I think that makes sense, right? Just have all that ready for you. So if anybody comes, that'd be great, though. Imagine if, you, if there was some sort of burglar in your apartment. You come out with a sledge, a, tri- a Triple H style sledgehammer. Oh yeah, yeah. You start hitting. You start hitting with these. Like, why do you have your hand over the, your fist over the the actual hammer? But you could kill me with this thing. It's like, oh, it's not safe. I'm trying to do the Triple yeah, H. Yeah, yeah. The, the intruder sees me reaching under my bed, and he's like, he's like, oh, is he going to be pulling out some linens? And like, like, no, it's a cattle prod. 
Oh, that'd be great. I love that. I've always wanted to see, I don't know if there's any context you could do it, but like have some sort of setting where a wrestler is like in bed at night and he wakes up, he thinks somebody's in his room and he reaches under his bed and he pulls out a chair and just carries around a steel chair the whole time, like ready to just like crack a guy over the head with it. Something about that just tickles me. I want to have one in my room. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, just get a real headshot in. Uh, and so Vince McMahon throws to another uh, of these very silly George and Adam ads. These are these two guys, these two kind of dunces who are waiting weeks and weeks ahead of time for the Royal Rumble in the Alamo Dome. It's essentially an ad to go to go to the Royal Rumble. And so, yeah, we go to these guys, these kind of comedic skits. And we see one of the guys has an Undertaker shirt, but also he's got Bret Hart sunglasses. And they talk about how they're going to be there for New Year's, just sitting in their seats. They were there for Christmas. And uh, that's it. I mean, there's not really much to them. Like, they're not very funny, Chris, I would say. They definitely are trying to be funny. But they're no, goofy. But yeah. I was trying to, like, figure out, am I supposed to know who these guys are? Barely. I mean, they're, they're in the other ads, but they're just two guys. And they just mm. do things in the arena. They're like, oh, man, uh, the wrestlers are going to come out this way. Oh, no one's here. Good thing we're here early. It's like, okay, yeah. Cool. It's like a one-note joke where you're like, this joke is – the one joke it's making every single week is even funny. I think it's maybe it's what how WWF conceives of fans like this is this yeah is just these two idiot young men they'll do any they'll wear all the merch they can everything like that and it's true I uh, mean it's, it's it's they're not wrong I mean fans are kind of like that <laughs> they're, they're, it is true that's true and so our next match here is Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Talmsley it's a non-title match Triple H is the Intercontinental Champion at the time. And uh, Flash comes out. He's got a bunch of pyro. He's got all sorts, you know, like way, like tons and tons of explosives. He's got his funk gets with him, which is his whole thing. Is that he comes out and dances with these girls. And uh, during Flash's entrance, we got we got we got a very 1996 moment here where uh, we have an interview with Triple H, kind of live backstage, and he says, you know, uh, Flash Funk doesn't deserve the title that he has, which is good because this is an untitled match. And he reiterates he's going to beat Goldust at the Royal Rumble. He's going to show Marlena what a real man is like. This is what he keeps saying. He keeps saying, you know, Marlena, you're with Goldust. And Goldust is a little bit, uh, you know, not the most masculine guy in the world. Uh, even though recently Jerry Lawler came out on Raw and said, Goldust, are you queer? With that exact phrasing. Did that happen? Yes, it did. What? <laughs> yes, it did. Oh. <laughs> it's a completely bizarre moment. But you, absolutely. Yeah, we covered it. We covered it. We talked about it. He goes, he, he, <laughs> Jerry Lawler asks, he's he got a hems and haws, and he asks about it. And he says, are you queer? And Goldust says, no. It's like, oh my gosh, Goldust likes girls, specifically Marlena. And so, uh, yeah, Triple H uh, is saying, you know, regardless of what Goldust says, you know, if you want to be with a real man, you can come here. Which is also, I'm realizing, kind of softening Triple H's character. Like, he's supposed to be this, like, I don't know, this elitist kind of rich guy. But now he's just kind of a jerk because he's just like, oh, I'll show what a real man is like. So shouldn't you be showing her what, like, a rich man is like or, like, a high class man is like? This isn't that your character. But he's kind of getting away from that anyway. He's just like a guy. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, kudos to WWF. Uh, I mean, it's it's somewhat woke uh, of somewhat. them, particularly for the era, to have Goldust as a face. And and I I remember hearing Vince McMahon say um, a little bit later on. Sorry, I'm just finding my notes here. Uh, he says. There are room, there is room for freaks in this world. And I thought, oh, Vince, that's a, that's a nice thing. Like celebrating diversity in <laughs> WWF in 1996. 
Right. For the time, it's pretty okay for the time. It's true. I think people would take issue with the freaks thing. Maybe the fact Goldust has to be openly declaimed as not being gay in order to be a, a good character. Is the other thing. Fair, fair. <laughs> but it's also like, fair. it's truly like, this is we're, this is 25 years ago, 26 years ago. Like, this is a long, that's like a fairly long time ago. Like, I'm like, it's like if you ever, if you ever had that experience when you're growing up as a kid in the 90s and you're watching reruns of like All in the Family and you're like, are they allowed to say this on television? And like, yeah, even in the, even the time it was like kind of like yeah, Archie Bunker he just said stuff but it's like yeah I don't know it's it's uh, it was a long time ago well I mean even you know years later the episodes that I was watching on Smackdown for your for your podcast yeah yeah um that seemed to be a lot more distasteful so I I, right. I sort of assumed in in my mind that things would have been worse back in 1996 but I think they were actually maybe a little bit better, like from our particular vantage point. Yeah. Isn't it weird to think the shows that we're covering right here are like just seven years before uh, the, the shows, like the SmackDown stuff? It's only seven years difference. Like we're watching these one hour Raws where Triple H is the Intercontinental Champion and he's just like a guy. And then seven years later, he multiple time world champion. The, the every the product looks completely different. They have like four times the time the um, primetime shows. Like things change so drastically in seven years. If you think right now, it's twenty twenty three now. If you can think back to early what would it be early twenty sixteen, that's not that long ago. I mean, yeah, this is it's right around when uh, AJ Styles is coming to WWE, but it's like that's not that crazy. Like that's that that doesn't feel that different than the rest of the time that we've been watching wrestling. But that seven years, the time in between. Here in the SmackDown Six era is crazy, huge difference. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely occurred to me seeing Triple H. Was he even called Triple H, or was he just called Hunter Hearst Helmsley at that? I point? think I'm I'm calling him Triple H because it's easier. But I think they almost always gave him the full three names. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And to think that, like, in his interactions with Vince, like, wow, like twenty six years later, he's got vince's job he's got vince's job he's he's his son-in-law he is producing his grandchildren right he's just like some guy next to him or with him on on ron it's like man that is wild how it turns out but i mean triple h is obviously, he's obviously marked for um success even in 96 so it makes sense that he's kind of got as big as he did although impressive that his life turned out the way that it did uh, and so before triple h comes out to the ring here though we have Goldust. his music hits and once again, Goldust and Marlena come through the crowd to watch a Triple H match. This is something that they did in recent weeks. And we cut back to Triple H backstage again. He's wondering what the big idea is. He he says he asks if this is like a Vince thing. And it's kind of interesting. Like they're playing kind of fast and loose with the idea that Vince, even though he's a commentator, may have more responsibility in WWF than he leads on. Uh, this is kind of the era where they're kind of being like, you might you kind of own the company, Ben. It's like they keep kind of hinting That's at it. Before. Right. It was a hint at that. Yeah. yeah. That that Vince was responsible for Goldust being being present uh, to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I a weird little thing. This is because that this is something I love about this doing this podcast, too, is that we're seeing these hints at the Attitude Era. Vince is the owner, maybe. Um, mm. this, this something, uh, there's something Shawn Michaels says either this week or next week that's like very, um, very hinting at what he'll be by the end of 1997. So it's all very interesting. Now, speaking of um, Shawn Michaels, we have our sponsors for the night. It's just Raw Magazine. Barely counts as really a sponsor. It's just self-promotion inside the, inside the promotion. 
Uh, and yeah, it's it's a magazine that has Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels on the cover, and the headline says, "Is Planet WWF big enough for both?" It turns out no. Uh, you know, by the end of the year, <laughs> they figure that out, and so we have these very the WWF is this weird time in '97 where there's people openly talking about how much Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart hate each other, and Bret Hart talks about being screwed out of titles, and you're like, um, this feel feels very like this weird like time loop almost. It's strange. Um, yeah, and also strange how much this this on-screen feud played out in real life. I don't know if there's even another example of it ever happening uh, at, to be so parallel, to where it's just like backstage and on camera, you're seeing the same thing, more or less. Two guys don't like each other being put in matches. They're going head-to-head. They're trying to take each other's territory. Well, it's very, uh, like I think a contemporary example would be Becky and Charlotte. And sure, interesting, and yeah. Who knows? Maybe Becky and Charlotte have sort of, Maybe it's a bit of a work, and they're they're intentionally trying to to parallel Sean and Brett. But certainly, I remember back at the time. I don't think I don't think it was in my mind at all that Brett and Sean legit hate each other in real life, and right. and that there's personal animosity there. And so, going back and watching this for sure, it's uh, it's very fascinating to see. Um, to see them, you know, basically trying to, to, you know, make the digs that they can get away with. Yes. Uh, and they're they trying. Get away with in, you know, knowing that they legitimately hate each other. Yeah. And they, 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 they push it. I would say Sean pushes it more than Brett, but I mean, I have a podcast about Brett Hart. So yeah, that's what I would say that, wouldn't I? Uh, so yeah, I also say the cover for our magazine also specifies it's for the, the mature fan which is a very loaded thing to put on a magazine, especially on a magazine rack. You're like, what am I going to see in this magazine called Raw that says it's for mature people? Uh, nothing nothing, nothing uh, as titillating as the title would suggest. No, it was titillating. Slightly, had... but not not, ma- not a magazine rack level of titillating. I mean, there's well, a certain yeah. expectation of the magazine rack, I would say. I mean, it wasn't even like maxim level, but they had, right. I think they had like centerfolds with, with like Marlena and Sable, Sunny, Sunny and yeah, like yeah. that's that's I think was was as far as they really pushed it. But yeah, they had yeah. two WWF magazines at the time, like yeah, the standard one and then the one for mature audiences. Mature. Uh, and yeah, so we have yeah, Flash Funk versus uh, Triple H here. Now, <laughs> uh, Flash starts off. He starts off strong. He's punching and dancing and. Jerry Lawler complains about Goldust being there in the arena, and Vince McMahon says, you know, Marlena bought a ticket. And I'm thinking, like, hey, like, where can I get my ticket where my entrance music plays and there's a gold spotlight on me the whole time? Like, how, do, how much is that ticket worth? Because that's mm. a bit more than just getting a ticket, guys. Come on. Let's be real. <laughs> they should sell that and for a lot of money, and it would sell. Great. We're at a house show. You're kind of like, what's going on? It's like, oh, it's... Um, it's Biff. He's next he's from the next town over. He spent five grand. That's why he's got interest music. He sits down and Ro- and Roman Reigns has to like yell at him or something. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean that's a great idea. Send that to uh send that send to Stanford. It. I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh and so Flash Funk, he hits a standing moonsault for two in nineteen ninety-six, which blew my mind. I was like, that's crazy that he's doing this stuff here at this point. Like just these like these crazy flips. Uh, and then we have something maybe a bit stranger. We get this. Uh, we take a commercial break. We get an ad for WWF Full Metal: The Album. This is something we've we've talked about. They keep showing this ad like every single week. It's the ad we've talked about with uh, Classy Freddie Blassie. 
kind of instructing or encouraging a young boy to dance in wrestling regalia in a way that is strange. Uh, we've got, yeah, Vince talks about uh, Shotgun Saturday Night, which is uh, debuting later on. We'll talk about that a little bit, uh, maybe more in the next episode. Uh, and uh, at one point, Jerry Lawler just grabs a mic. He's, you know, he's the commentator, but he gets grabs a mic and he just gets out of his seat. He starts to cut a promo on Goldust in the crowd. He's like, hey, look at this guy, Triple H in the ring. He said, here's a real man. And Gold- Lawler calls Goldust a freak. He tries to get him all riled up. And, Go- and Goldust doesn't get mad. And he takes off his wig that he usually wears. And he stands up. And the referee goes outside to talk to Lawler, which is funny because it's like, I don't know, is that really interfering with the match? Just a guy yelling. I, I mean, it's kind of a bit, uh, a bit, a bit of a, a, a gray area, I would argue. But uh, the referee comes back into the ring because Flash Monk hit a moonsault on Triple H. And, he, and the referee counts two. And uh, Lawler complains about Goldust distracting Triple H. And Vince points out, of course, that Jerry Lawler is the one doing the distracting in the situation. Uh, and uh, Triple H grabs the Intercontinental title belt with the referee also distracted. And he hits Flash Funk with it. And he gets the easy one, two, and three. So Triple H wins the match. It is not title, but he does get away with it, coming out with a victory. And uh, Lawler gets chased away by Goldust uh, after the match. And then Triple H chased after Goldust. But then Flash Funk chases after Triple H. And uh, Flash Funk drags Triple H back into the ring. Hits a kind of a stinger splash in the corner. And he comes off the top rope. And he hits a 450 splash on Triple H. And it's pretty much a perfect 450 splash. It's a very good, um, very good version of that. And so it looked good. And so, yeah, Flash Funk, even though Triple H has a match against Goldust at the Royal Rumble, Flash Funk is looking good. And we also plant the seeds for uh, a continuation of Jerry Lawler yelling at Goldust for being not as much of a man as he wants him to be. Now, there's another ad. Uh, did you see the ad for Shock on Saturday night? Yes. So they they're promising. I mean, this is this is yet again another a time where they're saying, "Hey, some some titillating things are going to come your way here. We're going to be at a nightclub. We're going to have we're going to have all sorts of fights." I think next week they go into a bit more uh, details because Saturday it's it's coming up this weekend. This is a live yeah, show they did like us raucous, sexy, and wild. It is. It's. I mean, you have to check your local listings to see it. So they didn't have like a deal for it. You just have to hope that it's on some sort of syndicated channel. Uh, but yeah, Shotgun Saturday Night will be something we talk about more going forward. And this is the uh, the early incarnation where it's always live at a nightclub, like just like some some bar, uh, which does not last very long because they ended up doing it uh, at another time. But Shotgun Saturday Night, where this is an we're part of the era that we're covering. Uh, and so we uh, then we go Shawn Michaels in the back. Vince McMahon talks to him from the announce table. He's, uh, he says, "Hey, what's going to happen when you and Brett go face to face tonight?" And Shawn says, "You know what?" No one gets in my face. That's about it. It's just a little like brief moment of Sean just saying, I'll be there. And we'll, we'll uh, I, I will not be taken advantage of. And uh, we get an ad for WWF's holiday hell tour, which is always fun. I love any of these ads for like live WWF shows. And they're saying, Oh, we're going to be in San Diego here that night and everything. And like, ah, oh, good. I'm glad they kept that on the network. So you can appreciate the holiday hell tour, uh, which also seems a bit extreme for 1996, but it's like, okay. And uh, so, yeah, we ha- and then we have Jim Ross in the ring to introduce Shawn Michaels. He's not on the announce- at the announce table, as he's been in recent weeks, but he's currently just kind of being the MC for these big main events uh, interviews he has. And, um, yeah, Shawn, we see not just his sunglasses, but he's also got a tan blazer and some jeans on, very 90s look. And uh, then Bret Hart comes back out because they're having this face-to-face confrontation. And uh, he's still shirtless and in jeans, but he threw on a Calgary Hitman leather jacket, which is kind of a flex, right, to have the uh, the merch of a team that's named after you that you can put on. Absolutely, yeah, pretty sick. I didn't realize it was I didn't realize it was already in '96 that team exists. It must be brand new. I'm sure it's like first season. 
if that, because I think it was only 96, 97 was the first time they actually wrestled. They actually played hockey. Uh, and uh, it, just to be clear, that's the Western Hockey League, which is the junior league. It's just below the NHL. So for any of our American or otherwise listeners are wondering what the Calgary Hitmen play in. It's pretty, you know, it's it's uh, not a, it's like, you know, the equivalent of college, really. The the college football equivalent is what is junior hockey in Canada. So, uh, yeah, he had a team named after himself. Pretty sick. Shawn Michaels didn't have that. Established in 1994, so not long after that. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I think Shawn Michaels should have had a team called like the San Antonio Heartbreakers. That'd be a good name for uh, some sort of sport. That would be a good name. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Petty might have something to say about it. That's all right. So <clears throat> we're told that Bret Hart is going to be facing Vader next week on Raw and that Shawn Michaels will be on commentary. And Shawn says, look, I'm not going to interfere, which is he essentially was on commentary and interfered at the pay-per-view against Sid when when Bret went against Sid. So it's like, OK. Uh, and this is where Shawn Michaels calls himself a low-life degenerate compared to Bret. He kind of a, sarcastically praises him like a deity. This is, our, I think, this is our first instance of someone, specifically Shawn Michaels, calling himself a degenerate on WWF television, which is what is is stable as a big name. This is the, uh, a very, very early peek at the attitude of Degeneration X. I was wondering that if if this was perhaps the first instance and in really the spark behind Degeneration X. I think it must be because it's it, the Shawn character is not that different. He's a little bit more serious here, whereas with DX, he's a bit more like. <laughs> I guess I can only kind of sum it up with that kind of like sneering kind of face. Uh, yeah, you see the development into that character. Yeah, for sure. It's it's yeah, what's happening here? And so Brett is uh, he he's points out at one at one moment here where he says, "Look, Jose Lothario, he apologized to Shawn Michaels for costing the title at Survivor Series." And so at Survivor Series '96, Jose Lothario, who is uh, Shawn Michaels' mentor. He uh, got up on the apron at one point, and Sid, Psycho Sid hit him with a TV camera he was holding. And that caused Sean to go out and check on him. And so Jose Lothario, a couple weeks later, was like, hey, I'm sorry about that. And it's like, oh, man, you know, he's, he's apologizing for it, even though it's not really – you could argue it's not his fault. And as Brett is saying here, essentially, like, look, Jose Lothario did this, and Sean, you won't apologize for what you did at the pay-per-view when you, did, you cost me the match. Uh, you know, you're not really living up to what your mentor is doing, which is, you know, he said Maury lives there. And, uh, you know, Brett says, you look, I was screwed out of the title of WrestleMania 12, which he's kind of suggesting even at WrestleMania 12, he took issue with the fact there was a, 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 um, a sudden death portion of the Iron Man match there. And then Bret Hart also gives Shawn Michaels grief for posing in Playgirl, which is something he would talk about often here. And he adds specifically, he doesn't even think girls buy that magazine. So once again, invoking some gayness uh, to uh, cast a spurs yeah, to the character. Yeah, definitely there was like a little bit of a sort of a homophobic uh, dig in there for sure. Yeah, I think I think Brett also called Sean a prissy at some point in the last few weeks. And it's like, yeah, he's he's, he's doing the same thing. Again, it's 1996. Uh, things were not involved. Don't think it was okay then. I'm just saying it's what they did more so then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brett says, you know, Sean, you degraded the, the WWF championship when you were champion. You had no class. You were a disgrace. You know, you kind of said you would live up to it, and you didn't. Uh, and uh, when Brett has a chance, he's going to kick Sean's ass, he says. And Sean says, look, Brett, I've seen you on the road. You're no role model. Which is like, well, that's a pretty real thing to say. Yeah, I that one, uh, my eyebrows certainly raised for for that. Uh, you know, I and I was wondering, you know, is, is – like that is very, very personal – yeah, uh, I was uncomfortable when I saw it. I was like, that, oh. yeah, very uncomfortable, suggesting that a face character is, uh, um, you know, what, what's what's he saying? 
Is he saying that he's, you know, drugs, women, yeah, drugs? He's he's definitely saying like the Bret Hart you see is not the Bret Hart of of real life, right? And uh, yeah, you know, again, looking back, having known the very real animosity between them, uh, you you wonder, you know, how that was received. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because if you've read, if you've read Bret Hart's book and I have, uh, I was this great book. I like every, <laughs> every other chapter of the book ends with Bret Hart being like, and then I went and slept with some girl and I felt really terrible about it cause I was married, but that's what I did. Cause I did that all the time. <laughs> like, mm. all right, Brett. So, so I know that when Shawn Michaels is saying this stuff. He's not saying it as a character. I think it's like, well, he's actually, he's actually, that actually happened. Yeah. Uh, and so before things get too tense, Psycho Sid, the WWF champion, comes out. He just walks out. He doesn't have any music. He just kind of walks out to the ring. And Shawn Michaels sees Sid, and he throws the mic to him, and Sid, like, thanks, Shawn, which is funny. I don't know. I just thought it was generally funny that, that Sid's like, thank you. <laughs> um, and Sid says he's going to beat he, – he already beat both these guys. He wants a real competition. And as soon as he says he wants a real competition, a gong tolls, and the Undertaker is here. And uh, the Undertaker walks down the aisle toward the ring – and Sid starts to get worked up, but it's suddenly from behind Undertaker runs out Vader. And Vader, uh, he he kind of fights off Vader. Uh, fight, Taker fights off Vader. He goes to confront Sid, but the Vader attacks uh, Sid. Uh, sorry, Vader attacks Taker again. Officials separate everybody, and with all that going on, Bret Hart is kind of like halfway in the ring, halfway out. He's gonna he's kind of like stepping over the middle rope, and Shawn Michaels kicks the middle rope into Bret Hart's groin, taking him out of commission. And then Sean slings himself out of the ring. He dives onto Sid to take him out uh, and, and attack him. And so they brawl, and the more officials get involved. We see Pat Patterson wearing kind of a Christmas sweater. And with all this chaos taking place, we take a break. And this segment feels it's very obviously setting up everything leading up to WrestleMania 13 because the plan of the time, as far as I knew, was that they wanted to do Sean versus Brett for the WWF title. They want to do it for a second time. And they want to have Sid versus Taker. And they end up doing half of that. And the belt is in a completely different situation for reasons we will get into in the weeks to come. But that was the current plan at this point. It's pretty clear. I mean, even though uh, Shawn Michaels is facing Sid at Royal Rumble for the WWF Championship, he, here he is picking fights with uh, with uh, Brett Will ahead of time. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, but it was, it was a good, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it, it was you know tense, uncomfortable times. But then you have all these guys, all these main adventures getting into action. So I, I enjoyed seeing them go head to head with each other. Yeah, it was uh, given that they weren't facing off in the very next pay-per-view. I thought that was a little surprising. It's not something that they would typically do now. Um, you know, a, a confrontation between two guys that are that are not um, slated to face each other right away. But you know, looking ahead to uh, to WrestleMania, but uh, I thought it was a fantastic segment. And actually, I had forgotten about the main event. Because it it really felt like that was the the big moment of the show. Sure. Yeah, for sure. It, it totally felt that way. And the reason you felt that way possibly was also that the main event is uh, Jerry the King Lawler versus Goldust. And it's right. this is one of those main events where I'm like, man, can you believe that WCW is beating WWF this time when they're doing main events like this? It's like you can change the channel and watch the NWO attack somebody. I mean, I would do that more so. Now. To see this match, we have Honky Tonk Man and Triple H. And uh, it's like, okay, we, we have them there. Uh, essentially, Honky Tonk Man, which I don't think he really goes into too much this week, 
He Honky Tonk Man is coming out every week. He does commentary for some matches because he is looking for the next Honky Tonk Man. Someone who can do, and usually his his commentary usually involves him saying like that wrestler couldn't be the next Honky Tonk Man. I'm like, okay, great, thank you very much. Uh, and Triple H is here to and essentially, uh, well, to set up for how the show ends. And uh, so yeah, we take uh, we have, Lawler comes out for his match. He sees somebody holding a sign in the in the crowd that's a, a pro Jerry the King Lawler sign. He grabs, he holds it over his he holds it over his head. He's all excited, he's all gleeful about it. And we take a break. And we get a Starburst Fruit Twist rewind, which I was totally ready for it to be like a retro thing. It's not. It's just uh, for earlier in the night when we saw Ahmed Johnson run in with his uh, great kind of yoga pants on. And we when, come back from – yeah. When the show is one hour long, I don't think you need to have recaps from earlier in, in the night. <laughs> Especially when it doesn't apply. <laughs> it's like yeah. here's Ahmed saving Bret Hart uh, and uh, Savio Vega. And it's like well, they, they're not coming back. They're gone. It's fine. <laughs> but it's true. An hour you don't need to have nope. to go back to it. It's true. Uh yeah, uh, Goldust uh, confronts Triple H outside the ring, but then Lawler attacks him there. Uh, and then uh, Triple H says, you know, what? I'm going to go take a closer look. And he gets off, he takes off his headset, and he leaves the announce table. And he just goes up to Marlena, who's at ringside, and he just steals her. He just grabs her. He carries her to the entrance uh, of the arena. And Triple H runs into Mark Marrow in the entrance. And we can only tell that he's there. He's like, he's barely lit. They just essentially tell us Mark Marrow is there. And uh, you're like, okay, sure, he's lit. you can't really see him. And then we see Goldust run out of the ring. And when we look back at the entranceway, we see that Mare was holding Marlena because apparently Triple H threw her at him. And Goldust runs, and he hits Triple H. And Triple H runs into and hits Mero and Marlena. And Marlena gets dropped on the concrete floor. And she appears quite hurt. And Triple H attacks Goldust by the entrance. And the bell rings. We find out that Goldust just lost by countout. And I was like, did he not win by disqualification? Like, why is he, <laughs> why is he getting punished for this, like, complete, like, disaster happening at ringside? And before we have much time to think about that, we see Marlena is hurting on the concrete floor, and we go off the air. And so that is our one one of our one hour raws. Yeah, I don't know. Goldust winning, uh, losing my count out. I don't. I didn't think that made sense. Does that make sense to you, Chris? Uh, I mean, kinda. Like, was he actually attacked before the referee counted ten? I have to think he was. Almost certainly he was. I feel like he must have been. I mean, maybe the referee did see it i don't know i I was very impressed by how how triple h threw marlena at mark marrow and mark marrow caught her uh you know very well i mean i suppose that's what wrestlers do they they catch people when you throw them when people are thrown at them that's their Mm -hmm. job but still it was uh it was it was a good throw and and i suppose i suppose they're setting us up now to to wonder like like oh gold us inadvertently uh, you know, knocked Marlena into the concrete. Uh, you know, maybe uh, she will decide that that really Triple H is, you know, the the man of her dreams, um, which which is preposterous. But um, I guess in in like WWF logic, it, it sort of makes sense that that you know women might reason that way. She might have good. I mean, I think she could be justified in saying, "Hey, Goldust, why are you running to Triple H when he's like a foot away from me being held by Mark Marrow?" I mean, I think that would be something you could actually argue. That's fair. Potentially, yeah, I think for sure. Fair. Sure. Uh, and so, Chris, let's get your final thoughts on the show, and I'd love to get a rating for you. Now, you may remember back in the SmackDown Six podcast, we had kind of a three-tier rating system. Mm-hmm. We used the SmackDown video games of the era to determine what was a good, what was a a bad show, an eh show, and a good show. And so we have a three-tier rating system here still, but they have different names, Chris. And so 
If you thought show, if you thought the show was bad, you'd say it's in the dungeon, right? Like the Heart Family Dungeon, it all kind of fits thematically there. So if it was a bad show, you say this show is in the dungeon. If you thought it wasn't good, but it wasn't bad, it was kind of in the middle, eh? Who cares? Kind of thing. We call that the Nightheart Zone because it's kind of <laughs> it's this kind of thing. All and right. you thought that if you thought that, if you thought it was good, you would say. The show was a TBT, ITBT, WTBTEWB, which is the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. But short <laughs> down to that. So, Chris, I'd love to get your thoughts on the show and your rating on it. Oh, God. I mean, I'm going to have to, like, work on that uh, to be able to give it th- that rating. Thankfully, I, uh, I, I'm not giving it the top rating today because I don't think I would be able to say the, the acronym <laughs> without having it in front of me. So it really, it really feels in the nine heart zone to me. Um, the one thing that elevated, elevated it was the Brett and Sean confrontation, because you know that that feels like like part of an important history, um, right? And, and even the, the personal jabs that are there, um, um, I thought, you know, yeah, this is this is maybe what they really think about each other. So I'm gonna give it the nine heart zone. You know, I, I, a totally fair rating. I'm also going to give it a night heart zone. I think you're you're right in the right spot for that. I think that if we went back in time, like 15 years, to when WWE still made DVDs, if they made like a W a Bret Hart Shawn Michaels rivalry DVD, uh, and if they had their kind of like 90 minute documentaries, they would use, they would do. They would include clips from this show. They would include that because these first kind of iterations of Shawn Michaels kind of lapsing. Uh, into the, re- the very real concerns that Brett had and everything like that. So you would see clips of this on there. And yeah, I think it's that kind of main event schmoz interview. That's that's interesting. And not, not not much else in the show is, but like that's one where you're kind of like, there's, cha- there's chaos, you don't know what's happening next, there's people who are coming out, and it's a little bit exciting. So that, that helps it there. So I'm also in the Night Heart Zone with you there, Chris. And so that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, the next show that we're going to be covering is the January 6, 1997. Sorry, 1997. We're going into 97 now, folks. It's the episode of Monday Night Raw. And there is no bonus match because Bret Hart also wrestles on that episode of Raw. So we're exciting. Uh, it'll be exciting to talk about that. Uh, you can follow this podcast, Smack Addict or Smack Addict Pod, on Instagram and Twitter. You can share the show with a friend. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts, which helps us get found by other people. Uh, and uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me for this episode, man. I'm glad you could start off your your journey uh, as part of the Hitman's last great year. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this journey leads. Absolutely. Folks, thank you very much for joining us again this week. And I hope no one throws a fully grown woman at you at all. Talk to you next time.